All right, if you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 9, and we will begin in verse 23 in just a moment. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And today we're going to talk about discipleship. Discipleship. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've no, no doubt have heard about discipleship. You've uh, maybe, uh, maybe have seen classes about discipleship. That's one of the functions of the church is to facilitate becoming a disciple to becoming a uh, better disciple. And, and so a lot of times churches will offer discipleship classes. And many times those things focus on things like uh, reading the Bible uh, better, uh, knowing the Bible more, maybe scripture memorization. Maybe they'll have a time of, of um, a focus study where you can, uh, it'll focus on living out your Christian life in a certain area, for instance, uh, finances or marriage or family or parenting or something like that. And those are all good. They all have their place. But what Jesus is going to talk about today has nothing to do with a Bible class. It doesn't have anything to do with a discipleship course. He talks about becoming his disciple. And what that means is daily taking up our cross and following him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It's not an easy text. It's not, it's not this difficult to understand, but it is difficult to live out. So if you found Luke chapter 9 and uh, verse 23, I'd like you to stand with me if you're able. And we will uh, read down to verse 27. It says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in, in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those, who, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing that I want you to see in our text today is this is a call for all. It is a call for all. Look at verse 23 again. And Jesus starts out by, by it says that he said this to them all. It said, he said this to them all. Now, we have to understand who them all is. Because there are two important details, I guess you'd say, that Mark includes that Luke does not. Does not say that Luke was wrong. It's just that he chose not to include these. But Mark has a couple of details that, when we understand them, when we when we read them or know about them, it helps us to kind of understand the situation a little bit better. The first is that Jesus tells the twelve, his disciples, the apostles, that he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be uh, be abused, going to be mistreated, going to suffer many things, die, be buried, and on the third day rise again. We read about that last week. So Jesus tells them that, and then he says, oh, he, first he says, who do men say that I am? And he asks the, the, the apostles this, the, the disciples, the twelve. And, and he asks them all, but Peter pipes up, and he, he speaks for them all, and he says, you are the Christ of God, you're the anointed, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my Father revealed that to you. Then he tells them he's going to suffer at the hands of sinful men. What Luke doesn't tell us, that Mark does, is that right after he says that, Peter takes Jesus aside, and the Bible says he rebukes him. Now, can you imagine rebuking Jesus? But anyway, he talks to Jesus. In other words, he, he takes him off, and he calls him to account. 
He, he tells him, you don't need to be saying stuff like that. You don't need to be talking like that. That's not going to happen to you, so on and so forth. And what does Jesus say? You remember? He says, get behind me, Satan. So right after Peter makes the, he, it's about the only time in the, in the Bible he gets it right. Right after that, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about because you're setting your mind on, uh, on, on man's view of things. You're trying to keep me to, uh, from going to the cross, but that's the whole reason I came. Okay, so right after Peter makes uh, the, the best statement, he makes one of the worst statements. The second thing that, that Mark tells us that Luke doesn't include is between verses 22 and 23 in our text, Jesus calls the crowds back to himself. Okay, so that's why Luke says he was saying to them all. Okay, so it's not just the twelve. It's all the crowd. He, he, he's, he's been working with the crowd. He's got the disciples off by themselves for a while. He's told them these things, but now he calls the crowd back to himself, and he says these things to them all. In other words, when Jesus calls people to discipleship, when he says, follow me, and this is the way that looks, he's not talking just to the twelve. He's not talking just to the apostles. He's not talking just to what you might call super saints. You know the kind of people I'm talking about, right? I mean, there are people that you come in contact with, and you're like, man... I don't even know what their spiritual life is like, but I feel deficient just being around them. I, I know they can't walk on water, but I swear if they go out there in the, in the lake, they'll be maybe ankle deep, maybe knee deep, but they won't sink. I mean, there are some people that you're just around and you just get this, this sense that there's something different about their spiritual life. This is, these are not just the people that he's talking to. He's including them, but he's not just talking to the evangelist. He's not just talking to the missionary or the pastor or, or, or somebody like that that you see out front. He says that each and every man, woman, child, teenager, every person from every background, from every walk of life, in every nation of the world, in all times of the world, if you would follow after him, if you would be his disciple, these are the things you must do. This is how this is going to look. This is the way it's going to be played out. So what does that look like? What does he call us to do as disciples? Well, if I had to summarize it, I'd say that he calls us to value himself over everything else, including our own lives. Now, he uses some strong language in our text. Look again at verse 23. He says, if anyone, again, universally applicable, if anyone wishes, desires, wants to come after me, he must deny himself. So one side of this coin of discipleship is denying self. To deny, it means to, to say no to. Now, if you've ever been on a diet... You know what saying no to yourself means. Now, I'm not talking about if, if you do Weight Watchers, you're going to be a disciple of Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But, but I'm saying we understand that concept. If, if maybe we, are, we have a sweet tooth, and our, our thing is, well, I'll just use myself as an example, ice cream. I love ice cream. And let's say that I've, it's, it's a hot day. I've been out working in the yard. And I'm like, man, there's nothing better. Nothing would, would make me feel happier than a blizzard from Dairy Queen. But let's just say, hypothetically, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm not, obviously, thankfully, because I'm not doing a very good job if I am. But let's just say that that's my thing. I have to make a choice. Am I going to fulfill my desires, or am I going to say no to self? And so Jesus says, the one who follows after me must deny himself. It means to reject or to refuse, to say no to. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? Well, it means more than just saying no to Dairy Queen. It mean, does it mean that we can't have any fun? 
Does it mean that we can't go and, and watch a, a ball game and enjoy ourselves? Does it mean that we can't have nice things? Does it mean that we can't um, go and have a nice meal with our friends? Is that what denying ourselves means? No, it doesn't mean that we can't be happy or, or enjoy life or, or be joyful. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying walk around like you've been sucking on a lemon all day. It means that, 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 that we have to have things in the right place. We have to have things in a right perspective. It means we don't put ourselves first. We don't put our happiness as number one. We don't, we don't make having the nice car and the new house and the fancy clothes and all the rest of it. We, we don't make that our number one goal and aim and desire. The other side of that coin is also in verse 23. He says you must take up your cross and follow him. Now, in the 21st century American church, we've romanticized the cross. We decorate our homes with it. Understand, the cross was a form of execution. It'd be like decorating your home with an electric chair, with a hangman's noose. We don't do that. But we've romanticized the cross because of of Jesus' death on the cross, and it means so much to us. And that's not a bad thing, but we have to understand when we read what Jesus says, when he talks about taking up the cross... He's not not talking about taking up some jewelry. He's not talking about decoration. He's not talking about putting a painting or a sculpture or or any of those other things that depict a cross in our homes. In Jesus' day, the cross was one of the most horrific deaths somebody could die uh, or die upon. It It was a form of execution. In fact, the agonies of the cross were so terrible, so painful... They didn't even have a word in their language to describe it, and they had to make up a new word. We use it still today. You've heard that word excruciating. Ex means out of, and the cruciating part comes from the Latin word crux, out of the cross. This is not a glamorous thing. It was a shameful death. It was administered to the worst criminals by Rome. And what happened is, if you were condemned by Rome after they scourged you and did all those things, they would make you take up the crossbeam that you were going to be nailed to, and they would make you carry it up the street to your place of execution. And as you staggered along carrying your, your, your cross, your crossbeam, you'd be flanked by Roman soldiers. It showed that you were in submission to, in subjection to Rome. And, and the bystanders along the street, they would mock the people that went by. They would ridicule them. They would hurl verbal abuse at those people. And then when you got to your place of execution, you'd be nailed to the cross, oftentimes naked, and raised up, and you'd hang there until you died. It was gruesome. It was horrendous. And so when Jesus talks about taking up our cross and following him, he's not saying, he's not talking about the romanticized view that we have. He's calling us to join him on a death march. Now, understandably, after, after he literally physically did this, it took up a whole new meaning for the disciples, for the apostles, as they saw him literally carry the cross and be crucified. And he said, come follow me, and you take up your cross. But listen, he looks at you and me and everybody else that would follow him. And he says, follow him to death. It means follow him despite those jeering crowds. Follow him d- despite the co-workers and the family members and the classmates and, and, and all those people that, 
that, that mock and scoff at our faith. He says, follow me despite and bear the cross despite being ostracized, not getting invited to the parties, not getting invited to all these different things. When people lie about you, still you bear your cross. It means even when people and governments physically assault the Christian, he says, still follow me, no turning back. In short, we're to love Christ more than we love our own lives. That's strong language. He says, live a crucified life, die to self. But notice what he says in verse 23. How often do we do this? Is this a one and done thing? No, this isn't just walking the aisle, shake the preacher's hand and, and, and join the church and, and getting baptized and all those things. He says, do this, take up your cross daily. Daily. Now, crucifixion, death, that's a one-time thing. But he says we need to bear our cross. We need to take it up and bear it daily. It's a daily struggle. It's dying to self in everyday decisions. It means that we do things like not seek revenge. It means that we do things like love the unlovable. It means that we give of our, our time and our resources in service. It means that we put other people before ourselves. It means that we are His witnesses in this world. Now Jesus fleshes out in, in the verses that follow. He fleshes out uh, what this is going to look like. We'll move through these quickly because really they're, just, they're, they're different aspects of this same truth. Look at verse 24. He uses the imagery of saving and losing life. He says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever, uh, whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. He talks of dying to self and living to Christ. Now there's a, there's a temptation to live for the things that are in this world. There's a temptation to live for the things that are seen. The things that are visible. And when we put those things, those material things, whether it be possessions or something else, and, and those are the focus and the epicenter of our lives, we will not live the life that Christ calls us to. It's just a, a fact of the matter. And what happens is this fear of losing stuff, of losing the prestige, of losing a job opportunity, of losing whatever it is, if, if we make that the focus of our lives, that will keep us from doing the things that God calls us to do. It will keep us from speaking up for our faith. It will cause us to maybe not, uh, not surrender to an area of service. Those, those things of comfort will keep us from following Christ. And when we seek to save our lives, we will, we, we will, when we seek to save those things that we identify with so much in this life, it will keep us from following Christ in what He's called us to do. We won't step out in faith. But the one who will sacrifice the things of this world for the things of the kingdom will find life eternal. To use the imagery of, of the sower and the seeds, you remember that parable? Jesus talked in one place about the, the thorns that grew up and choked out the word. If, if we hold on to the things of this world too tightly, those things can, can grow up and choke out the word of God in, in our lives. And, and we, are, we are not fruitful Christians. Jesus then moves on to a little bit different image. It's similar, but he, he goes to one of the marketplace. He talks about gain and loss. Look at verse 25. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now that's a rhetorical question. What benefit does a man, a person, what person do they gain if they gain the whole world 
and lose themselves. They forfeit their souls. And the expected answer, the implied answer is, what do you gain? Nothing. You don't gain anything. In fact, if you gain the world but lose your soul, you've lost everything. Why? Because the eternal soul is far more valuable than, than all the riches this world can offer in a million lifetimes. Now, now, what happens when you die? All those things that you've worked so hard for, all the things you've saved up for, all the things that you love even, that'll go to somebody else. Your soul, your spirit will live on in eternity, and all your bank account, all your possessions, that doesn't go with you. I mean, we, we look at this stuff, we, you see the pharaohs in Egypt. They'll be buried with all this stuff. What a disappointment for them. When they woke up in eternity and they were not surrounded by their servants and their gold and, their, and, and all the stuff that they had. Listen, we would be fools indeed to trade the things of this world and this life for our eternal souls, for the life to come. And in following Him, Jesus is not calling us to live in poverty, but He is calling us to put things in their proper place, to put Him and His kingdom first. Not things and possessions and prestige. Last thing I want you to see as it relates to this is in verse 26. And that is that Jesus tells us that people's opinions can be a snare to us. Look at verse 26 again. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The worry of people's opinions can be just as much a snare in our spiritual lives as the love of possessions, as materialism. Now, Jesus talks about being ashamed of him. In other words, we're embarrassed to be associated with him. You say, Pastor, you don't have anything to worry about. That's not me. I mean, look at me. I'm here at church. Everybody knows I go to church, at least sometimes. Well, think about it. How do you know if you're being embarrassed about Jesus? Do you ever tone it down a little bit when you're around people that don't share your same spiritual beliefs? They're not on the same page as you spiritually, so you change your language. Maybe you use more salty language. Maybe you don't talk about your faith. You don't talk about Jesus. You don't talk about the Bible. You don't even talk about church. Do you get, do you get embarrassed to talk about those things? Do you sit by silently when Christ is maligned, you try and fly under everybody's radar, maybe at work, around the Thanksgiving table, and just not, not, not causing troubles, not, not ruffling feathers, not rock the boat, fly under the radar so people don't even think about you being a Christian. Do you ever do that? Now, I'm not saying you go out and you just pick fights all the time. But sometimes our, our embarrassment shows up in silence. Now, even, even more to the point of what Jesus is saying here is, is, is this idea of, of unbelief. He says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, if those things scandalize you, if you distance yourself from them, if you distance yourself from Christ, listen, you cannot be saved. Because Jesus is the only way to salvation. And if you will not come to Him, if you are embarrassed of Him, if you, will, if you keep your distance from Him, you cannot be saved. Apart from Christ, there is no salvation. And if you want no part of Him in this life, you'll have no part of Him in the next life. 
You say, well, Pastor, that just raises a question in my mind because there have been times when I've been silent. There have been times maybe I even, I even did like Peter and said, I, I, I just maybe denied the faith. What about those times? If, if a person does that and they're a Christian, are they going to go to hell? Well, the answer to that is no. I mean, you think about Peter. Was he truly a believer? Yes. Did he, did he deny even knowing Jesus? Yes. Did Jesus turn his back on him? No. See, there may be times when a believer, in a moment of weakness, because of societal pressures or whatever it is, they may give in to this temptation to not follow Christ like they should. And listen, that's, that's a sin. But just with all other sin, for the believer, there's a loss of reward, not eternal life. I mean, Pete, uh, Paul talks about this in the first part of 1 Corinthians. He says our works are tested. The things that we do, our life is tested by fire, as it were. And those things that remain, those, those things that are made out of, of, of the, the precious metal and, and, and the, the, the gems and so on and so forth, he's, he's using imagery there. He says those things that remain result in reward. Those things that are burnt up re, result in a loss of reward. These things don't result in eternal life or loss of eternal life. For the believer, it has to do with reward. Now Jesus concludes this section in verse 27 with a statement that may leave a scratch in our head. He says, But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And you look at this, and you look around, and you say, Huh? For the answer to that, I'm going to make you wait till next week. Because it'll take more than just a, a couple minutes. So, uh, the point of what I want you to get at, to, uh, want, want to get to you today, is that Jesus calls us to be His disciples. He calls us to follow Him. He, he calls us to daily take up our cross in the mundane things of life. And so many times our lives are filled with the mundane, with getting up. And, and have you ever noticed the, the cyclical nature of life? You get up, and it's just a big cycle, just go over and over and over again. You get up. You get ready. Many times you do things in the same order every day. Maybe you take medicine at, at a certain time, at a certain point in your morning, and something happens and, and you're scheduled, you, you do things in a different order, you forget to take your medicine. You ever done that? I've done that. And you get up, you do things in a certain order, you get dressed in a certain order, put your stuff on in the same order, you go, you have coffee and you have breakfast, and you go to work and do all the things, you come home and you do it again the next day. It's mundane. It's everyday stuff. It's the rat race. It's, it's just a big cycle over and over again. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, take up your cross daily in the mundane activities of life and choose Jesus over, over self. It means choose Jesus over the things of the world. He says, choose me even when, even when your coworkers will laugh at you. They'll think less of you. Choose Christ and have an eternal perspective. Don't, don't go focusing. Don't, don't make the things of this world, the material things that you see around you, don't make that the focus of your life. Have an eternal perspective. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And the first step in that is to be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And if you have never done so, you need to repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation. That's the very first step of following Christ. Now, many of us have already done that. Many of us have already put our faith in Him. We've turned from our sin. Now, for those of us who have done this, this is a call to radical discipleship. It's not radical in the sense that it should be extraordinary. What Jesus is talking about is ordinary discipleship. But it's radical in the sense that it's all-encompassing. It's sin-hating, self-crucifying, following of Christ. It's radical in the sense of its scope. Do you need to commit to that today? I've got to tell you, I, I wrestle with this. Because it's, it's, it's scary when we think, when we know how easy it is, how prone we are to fall short in these areas. It's, it's humbling when we, we know how easy it is for us to not only slip into, but sometimes run headlong towards sin. But listen, we need to lean on His strength to do these things. And when we fail to do it, when we don't live up to what God calls us to, there's forgiveness. First John tells us that if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, He's written these things that we might not sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it may be that, that, that as we look at these things, and his call to, to, to deny self and to follow him. It may be that, that, that you're, you're looking at your own life and say, well, I've not done this in this area. Listen, there's forgiveness. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And Christ forgave him and put him back into service. And he became, he, he wrote part of the Bible. Even when we sin, Christ is not through with us. Want to stand with me as a musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you bow your heads and close your eyes. One, to encourage you to think about your own life. Are you a disciple? Not have you gone to a discipleship class. Not are you a member of a church. Do you follow Christ? Maybe there's some specific area that you just, it's like throwing open your house and saying you'd have access to all these different parts of my life. You'd have access to all these different rooms. I'm going to keep you out of that one. That's the very one that you need him in most. 
It could be that you have never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never turned from your sin. You've never put your faith in Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And the Bible says that all who call upon Him will be saved. If you have never done that, I call on you today to trust Christ for salvation. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for this text that uh, lays things out so plainly. And we know that there's not a bait and switch. You don't promise us prosperity, wonderful health, and and the kids never go astray in a full bank account and all the other things that we hear trumpeted today. Jesus tell us point blank, it's going to cost something. And God, I pray that you'd help us to count the cost and to follow you. Help us to not be silent. Help us to not be obnoxious about our faith. And not go out stirring the pot and, 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 and trying to pick fights with people, but to, to live for you in a, a winsome, loving way. God, for the person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And let them become your child. In Jesus' name, amen.